Hello and welcome to Herbal Wisdom. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Chris Vaughn. I am a certified clinical herbalist and the owner and program director of Herbal Wisdom Institute. I am also co-creator of Southwest Herb Fest, a con herbal conference here in the Prescott, Arizona area. And I'm also a director of practitioner experience for Wise Woman Herbal. So I wear lots of hats. Um, and so today I'm excited to have my co-creator of the Southwest Herb Fest with me. Um, so we're gonna be speaking today to Bella Donna. She is an herbalist and a beekeeper and she's amazing. And she lives such an incredible herbal infused life. And one of her specialties is herbal honeys. So Bella, thank you so much for being on with me today. Oh, it's great to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I always love when we get to sit and have conversation. We always end up having some really great conversations. So I'm glad to have you here. So one of the things that you do really, really well are herbal infused honeys. That's a big part of your business, right? It is. Yes. Um, I am a and beekeeper. So what, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. So I know you're a beekeeper. You raise your own your own bees and that makes a difference in your honey doesn't it it does yeah it gives me a quality of honey that i need for my medically medical quality honeys so what makes the honey that you do your i know one of them is super honey what what is different in an herbal infused honey versus just an extract of those same herbs the difference is synergistically mixing two different things together. So we know how if you mix two different herbs together synergistically, you have a powerful component that's greater than the two. We'll take that same concept and mix an herbs with honey. And honey is multi-mega loaded with all kinds of vitamins and nutrition. And then you take uh, the herbs with specific properties and you put them together and then you just have a a mega formula of something that's really not just healing, but can prevent health issues from happening. So it's um, healthy and healing. So does it, does it change the quality of the honey depending on what your bees are feeding on? Yes, it does. So there's two different types of herbal honeys. I can have my bees in areas with herbs and the bees can pollinate those plants and bring the pollens and work with the nectar and make their honey. And that would be a true herbal honey. To know if I have a true herbal honey or if anybody has a true herbal honey, the honey would need to be pollen tested to find out exactly what pollens are in the honeys. So when I've had my honeys in central Arizona, I've had my bees in central Arizona and I've had herb gardens all around them. It doesn't necessarily mean that the bees are going to go to my herbs. So I, wherever I'm at with my bees, will have my honey tested to know what the bees are doing and if they are actually using the herbs that I'm supplying for them and wanting them to pollinate. And then there are herbally infused honeys where I can take my peppermint plants in my yard, my spearmint plants, my fennel plants, and I can take the fresh cuttings and then put them in honey, put them in the sun so that the sun extracts the oils from the herbs. And that would be an herbal infused honey, which would draw the properties from the particular herbs into the honey. So there's two different things, two different meanings to herbal honeys. One could be a naturally 
um, pollinated herbal honey that's made by the bees. And the other would be an herbally infused honey that has man's intervention in getting the infusions into the honey. Oh, that's interesting. I really did not know the difference between those two. So that's really good information to know. Uh, so I know you've recently moved to another location. So um, do you test your honeys for pollen or I do. you don't? Yes, I do. And I test them because when I'm using them for the purposes that I am with myself and my clients, if I know what particular pollens, it gives me an um, idea of the health aspects of them. So for example, in Arizona, the last batch, I believe it was the last batch I had pollen tested and I had all kinds of herbs all over the place, but it tested mesquite and lavender and it was a thick, uh, light, creamy honey. So when I say winter comes and I want to up my pollen, then I go to my mesquite honey because mesquite is pollen later, um, full of protein. Um, if I'm so that was a light creamy. The first honey that I had here that I had tested was a dark, thick, creamy, and it tested for a lot of woods, a woody um, plants, even Tupelo. And uh, I don't know in the West how much Tupelo doesn't grow there. I don't know how much people know of it, but here in the Southeast where I'm at now, Tupelo is a highly regarded and respected plant and honey because of its known healing properties. So that was exciting to see the Tupelo. Uh, it had Tupelo, it had sumac in this one. It was, so every single honey is totally different. What most beekeepers do is they just guess where the bees were at and then they name their honey by that. Uh, or they think, well, if it's light, it has to be mesquite. Or if it's dark, it has to be this other thing. So most every other beekeeper across the country will name their honey by what they think the bees pollinated with. And when I've had other people's honey tested, it has been 100% never what they are labeling or they tell me that it is. So that was an interesting oh, wow. study that, yeah, that I did for years. So I work wow. with a professor at the University of Texas A&M he has the only lab that I'm aware of that will honey or pollen test in, a, in the United States and the tests are costly. So that's another reason why most people don't do it. But him and me have been talking for years about the test and he's always encouraging me. He says, tell people, tell your beekeeping friends, tell people when you're at conferences to call their honey where it came from. So call it central Arizona honey, call it uh, Seattle honey, call it uh, Durango, Colorado honey, call it Southeast or Southwest, but don't just make up names because you think that's what it is. That makes a lot of sense. Yes, it does. So it does are, to you me. Finding, are you finding um, being in this new location um, that your honeys, are, are you having a, a big learning curve on how your honeys are different now um, and what their uses are? Because uh, it's a whole different plant system where you moved to from from where you lived in Arizona. Yeah, it is. Uh, I don't think the learning curve was very big because I'm familiar with herbs 
And there's a lot of different herbs that do a lot of different things. So it was just knowing and recognizing what's here and then what's the best way to use it. Right. Um, here's an example. So, yeah. Uh, elderberries grow wild around here. So I kept hearing about all these wonderful wild elderberries. And I found a couple people with them that I was able to herbally infuse. So putting the elderberries in the honey to draw out with winter coming up, wanting to build up um, my personal immune system and vitamin C. Uh, to do that, elderberries have a high water content. So what I needed to do that with was a very thick honey so that when the moisture got into the honey, the honey didn't get too runny because then it turns to alcohol, ferments and turns to alcohol. So those are just like basic principles that wherever I was at, whatever I'm doing, I can apply what I know to all the different plants and all the different areas in honey. Now, are honey infusions always done with fresh plants or can you do them with dry plants? With using herbs, we know like using fresh herbs is always best. So I always like to do fresh herbs myself. I will use dry herbs if it's an emergency. If I have somebody that um, like needs some right now and I don't have fresh, but I always try to herbally infuse with the fresh. I believe the fresh is going to have more oils in it just naturally. Um, working with dry, if I only have, so everything, the answer to everything, I guess, is it depends. So if I only have honey on hand that's a little bit on the watery side or runny side, then I would probably want to use drier herbs because if I have a little bit, so the viscosity of a honey uh, is ideally 16 or 17. If it gets thicker, thinner, then I don't want to change that too much. So if I have a so here, an example is I got some honey from a friend of mine in Hawaii who's a beekeeper who was in the volcanic, uh, what was that called? The volcano, I'm sorry. The volcano oh, that the happened. Eruption. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, my friend had bees and honey there and her whole family and her whole life and everything. Well, they were moving and they had to move quickly and they were able to get some honey out of there. And then when they first got settled before the volcano came to their second place, I told her, if you have any honey and send it to me, then I'll send you some money and that'll help you get rid of some of your honey and help you with some money. So I got some uh, honey from Hawaii that had just been extracted. So it was a pretty runny honey. So I had to do something pretty quick with it before it did ferment. Um, so I used some dry herbs with those honeys and made some real nice infusions. And then I made it or added it to my super honey, which is a blend of all different honeys plus superfoods. So when I do that blend and want a certain consistency, I need some real thick honeys. I need some runnier honeys. I like to blend lighter honeys and darker honeys and honeys of all varieties of pollen. So when I, if I pour out an ounce of this honey, it doesn't have eight or 12 different pollens, it might have 80 to 100 different pollens in it. Wow. Yeah, That's so fantastic. Yeah, it's some powerful stuff. That you've so do you customize? Do you customize honey specifically for people like after you do a consultation? Yes, I do. I like to keep different ones around that I notice I go through a lot, like my ginger elderberry seem to be something in the fall. 
a lot of people were getting sick all over the place, all over the country. So the elderberry ginger, I kept making it, making small batches, and then I made a lot so I would have that around. So different times of the year, it seems like I have more of a need for something. In central Arizona, I had lavender bushes, and when the lavender bloomed in July and August, I could make a, like straight from the garden, pick the lavender blossoms and put them into a honey. And that was my best seller for the rest of the summer. And sometimes I would have some left at Christmas time and sometimes I didn't. Um, so I do keep some different honeys on hand. I always have my super honey, but a lot of times it is just special blending for somebody's particular specific need. Well, I know when you lived here in Arizona, my favorite one I believe that I got from you was cinnamon and prickly pear. Oh, yes, that was good. <laughs> and it was to die for. Yeah. <laughs> I, re I was so, I was like scraping the side of the jar when it was all gone. <laughs> yeah. That was delicious. So I start with the um, really good quality honey. So the honey that I start with doesn't have sugar added to it. Um, it's not been watered down, so it's pure honey, and a lot of my honey I get like right from the hive. Like somebody will call and they'll have in Arizona, I was I could do this every single day, get a phone call from Phoenix to Flagstaff. Somebody found bees in their shed, in their garage, uh, under their house, in their dog house, in a bird house. So going and getting the bees and removing them, putting them in a box with their brood and their comb is what I would do. But then if there was a lot of extra comb and honey, then I would throw that in a different bin and then I could use that. So I was getting the honey like right straight from the hive. And then I didn't strain it and filter it and heat it and all the things that most beekeepers do. I would hand strain it, which is very time consuming. So I would start out with a like very high quality honey to begin with, wild honey, if it wasn't for my bees. And then um, the prickly pear and cinnamon, when I add anything to my honeys it's top quality so I would buy the best cinnamon that I could buy in sticks and hand grind it up and then put it in my honey and then I would extract or pick my own prickly pear and extract the juice from the prickly pear so every honey that I made was fresh so it was um, the flavors to me were just superb and you just verified that so thank you for that <laughs> you're welcome it's not you do have really flavorful honey it's so good Thank you. Yes, the, the so, flavors, quality is most important to me. Well, and, and you can tell how much you love not only making the honeys, but you love your bees. I and do. so that's one thing that I've really um, been excited to watch over the last few years that you and I have known each other is, you know, everything that you do with these bees and how fascinating that is. Um, your life as a beekeeper. I mean, you really live this life of bees and herbs, and it's not just something that you do. And so I have a great respect for the lifestyle that you live. And really, um, you know, people who, who come and learn from you, which they're going to get to do at this next Southwest Herb Fest. So excited that you're going to be teaching again about this topic, herbal infused honey at Southwest Herb Fest. Yeah, this year we're doing a hands-on class, so it'll be a little bit more fun even than last year, I think. 
Oh, that's great. So people are going to get to taste. Yeah, and I'm hoping make their own. Yes. Yeah, and learn why that's we're fantastic. making our own and learn about what happens when you mix and why you mix what we mix. And so it'll be a little bit deeper this year than last year. That's so great. And then you're also teaching on the second day, you're teaching uh, a special event class with limited seeding called Soil to Plate. So what's going to happen in that class? That's also going to be a fun hands-on class. I already have a lot of the materials together for that. We're going to actually do a compost gardening demo and then each person will be making their own little tiny compost garden. And then we'll, we'll be planting basil seeds and we'll be talking about basil and why basil and uh, how basil can be used by itself with honeys, different types of basils. Uh, so we're gonna start with seeds and compost and teach how to plant. And we're gonna do some big compost gardening and then little compost gardens for people to hand carry home with them that day. So that's a, action-packed I think it's a three hour two and a half or three hour program that people are gonna learn my goal was to have people what like when I moved and I was in an apartment first I was at my daughter's and I was in an apartment and then I was living in the house not finished and then I was living in a house that was finished inside and not outside but I kept figuring out how to have some plants and that's what I want to show people and talk to people about is wherever you at you can have something you can have some kind of little garden and there's different ways to do it. And that's what I want to introduce to people with um, and different ideas for composting also. That's going to be so much fun. I think people are really going to love the opportunity to take that class. So for those of you listening, if you're interested in learning more from Bella at Southwest Herb Fest, that's happening June 1st and 2nd of 2019, this year, just a few months away in Prescott, Arizona, and you can register for that event at swherbfest.com. That's southwesterbfest.com. And we currently are in a time of early bird registration discounts. And so that goes through the end of February 2019. You can register to learn from Bella as well as nine other instructors throughout the day. Um, the first day being all of our instructors second day are three special event classes so you can take a look at that on southwestherbfest.com and i'm excited to sit in on bella's classes because they're always super good so bella thanks so much for, oh. for coming on and explaining about these honeys i think it's a it's a prep, herbal preparation that we don't use enough and so I love that you're teaching this so that we can um, get herbalists excited about making their own infused honeys. Yeah, I think it's a, a skill that's been lost over the years. I do a lot of research and I have found recipes and articles hundreds of years old of mixing. Uh, and I just saw one this morning in the Herb Society, um, Herb Society of America's book, I think it was like 1948 or 50 or something, uh, an article on herbal mead where um, herbal mead was made for medicinal purposes. And now if anybody says mead, people 10 years ago didn't hear mead, maybe five years ago, now they hear a mead and it's an alcohol. 
well, the elk um, right. honey mead was made as a medicine. So um, I am hoping there'll be a resurgence of that realization rather than the alcohol aspect of it, because there's only so much honey in the world and we need to use it wisely like everything else. Oh, that's so good. So good. Yeah, because I agree. You know, I had not heard the word mead applied to medicinal honeys. You know, I always think it's a it's a wine made from honey. So really good to be bringing that tradition back and bringing back that terminology. Thank you. So again, thanks so much for coming and sitting and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you here in June. Yes, I'm real excited about it. Great. And so for those of you who are listening, if you want to learn more about herbs and how you can use herbs in your life, of course, subscribe to this podcast so you can have access to all of the episodes. Um, if you're looking for education, then I encourage you to visit my website, which is herbalwisdominstitute.com. And you can take a look at classes and certification programs that we have going on at Herbal Wisdom Institute. Thanks so much for being on, everyone. We'll see you next time. Take care.